Welcome to the Top Gun Horsemanship Experience. I'm Talina, the face behind Top Gun Horsemanship. This is the podcast where I share my experiences as a horse riding instructor, kennelman, and professional liberan in Southern California. I figure for the first episode, I should probably introduce myself for anyone who doesn't know me. I'm Talina, and I'm 24 years old. Like I said in the opening, I'm a professional whipper in and kennelman, but what does that even mean? Most people have seen some version of fox hunting on movies or TV shows, but like every movie that has a horse in it, there are some major inaccuracies in the media when it comes to fox hunting, but it at least gives you an idea of what we do. The huntsmen, whippers in, and hunt masters wear the red coats, just like in the movies, and we hunt using foxhounds to find our quarry. Since we don't have an abundance of foxes in Southern California, we use coyote instead. That being said, we are what you call a no-kill hunt, meaning that we have not killed a coyote in years. We mainly do scent work, and when the coyote tires of it, they know the fence lines that they can run to that we will not cross. So they just leave. Fox hunting is primarily done in an English saddle with some jumping mixed in, very similar to the skills you would see on a cross-country course. We have a club full of members, both riding and non-riding, who love the sport of fox hunting and support us in our endeavors. We hunt during our hunting season, late October to early April, and have the opportunity to participate in hound trials, hunt balls, joint meets, and other activities all around the country. It's a great community where you will have a friend no matter where you go. And almost anywhere in the world will have a hunt that they can connect you with, which is a really fun part of it. The other side of my life revolves around giving horse riding lessons at a lesson barn. Here, our primary focus is in horsemanship, hence the name Top Gun Horsemanship. Horsemanship is the foundation of any and all disciplines, so anyone who masters the horsemanship side of horses will most likely be successful and safe in any discipline they choose to pursue. We definitely have a lot of fun along the way, and I love doing whatever horse sport my clients are into at the time, which almost always comes back to Jim and Barrels, which I'm more than happy about since that's what most of my background is in. But we've also dabbled in drill team sorting, roping, ranch riding, and a few other things. I just like to keep it open and let them decide what they want to do while still really focusing on that main horsemanship foundation in between. Some people may wonder what makes me qualified to give lessons, so I'll go ahead and tell you. Growing up, my parents trained horses, occasionally selling them to make room for new projects that needed help. It was their mission to find horses who were either not in a great situation or had the potential to get in a bad situation. This meaning several things, such as they had a clear lack of training, they were being sold too cheap, or someone needed to sell them too quickly, stuff like that that may put the horse in a bad situation. They would give these horses a super solid foundation before finding them the perfect home for them to continue their career in. As for me growing up, I did a lot of different stuff. I competed in several different barrel races and gymkanas in several states. We competed at local horse shows in a lot of different disciplines. We did 4-H and other horse kid type activities. At nine years old, I ran on my first Grand Canyon Pro Rodeo, winning six, and from there, I was hooked. It was a lot of amateur rodeos and big barrel races, leading me to several state and regional finals in barrels. I even had a jumping craze in my life where I did show jumping for a few years and loved it. But we just didn't really have the horses to be super successful in it, and the way our horses were built, it just kind of 
was harder on them than a horse who was specifically meant for jumping because we were using our rodeo horses. <laughs> but it was super, super fun. After that, we dove straight into a full-blown junior rodeo lifestyle. I learned how to heel, breakaway, goat tie. I improved my pole bending and ran barrels still. I attended a lot of different clinics and went to a lot of different junior rodeo associations, both in Arizona and New Mexico. During the school year, it was a lot of high school rodeo, AJRA, Queen Creek Junior Rodeo, and then in the summertime, we'd go to several smaller junior rodeo clubs to keep our skills up. Along the way, my horses and I won several buckles, saddles, money, and other small prizes. So basically, I have no real qualifications outside of real life experience that I've learned from those experiences. So maybe you can learn a little something from the things I've been through as well. Horses and the sport of rodeo and just all, all the things I've done, mostly the horses though, really, just mostly the horses themselves have taught me so much. And the people that I've met along the way are just the most kind, amazing people you will ever meet. And I've learned so much from all the different people in my life. And there's been a lot of people who have contributed to who I am today and where I am today, as well as the horses. I have literally everything I have is due to my horses. They are the ones who were my partners no matter what I wanted to do, whether it was jumping or junior rodeo or barrels or it didn't matter. Whatever it was, they were there and they were more than happy to do it. And like all animals do, they have aged, which is sad, but at the same time, those horses have enabled me to have the best lesson program I could possibly have. It's all due to them and their training and the things that they have done and how much heart they put into absolutely everything. And it makes my heart so happy knowing that I can give them this slightly slower, less impact, easier on their body lifestyle where they're still doing what they love. They're helping other people learn and grow and they still get to attend the events that they love to do, but it's not as hard on them. And it makes my heart so happy knowing that any horse that I get is gonna have an automatic retirement plan. And I love that. And I've gotten several horses back that we had sold to compete with other families who are ready for that slower lifestyle. And it is just the most rewarding and amazing thing you could ever imagine. And it has brought so much peace to my life knowing that my horses have that retirement plan where they will be happy and there will be a lot of people to love on them and give them the attention they deserve. Because at the end of the day, it takes a lot of horses to be competitive at a high level or really just any it doesn't even have to be a super high level just any level it takes a lot of horses it takes a lot of contri contribution and that's the hard thing about junior rodeos it's so hard to find a horse that can do everything it takes a team and that is just not realistic that I could continue to compete and aspire to be a higher level and still give my older horses the attention they deserve. So it's so nice knowing that I will have the lesson program where they will get all the attention they could want, all the love they could want, 
while still doing what they love. It's so rewarding. So back to the actual premise of this podcast. I thought for the first one, we'd keep it kind of light and fun, and I would share the story of Peter. Now, there were two Peters in my life. The first one was whenever I was very, very little, and Peter was in super old, slightly decrepit, just because he was old, Shetland pony that a friend of ours had. So this was back whenever I lived in Baghdad, Arizona. That is a mining town. If you don't know how mining towns work, basically the mine owns everything and you rent stuff from the mine. So like your house, stuff like that. Um, And you generally work for the mine or the school. There's other jobs too, but that's how it generally is. So for bigger animals that cannot live in a backyard, they were all out at the corral. So you had your patch of land at the corrals and you could put whatever you want up, do whatever you want but everybody was in this section, which made for a lot of fun times as a kid because I could play with my friends. We would run around getting into all kinds of trouble, go through the desert, all kinds of fun stuff. And we had a lot of really nice neighbors who would let us spend time with their horses and other animals, one being this Shetland pony, Peter. And then Me and my brother were pretty small, and his owner would always let us take him out, do whatever we wanted. It was awesome. And then Peter died of old age, and it was really sad. Uh, But we understood, like, you know, we knew that that was just a thing that would happen to older horses at that point. But it was still sad, and it still made us sad. So then... A while later, I got my own Shetland pony. So, of course, I named him Peter after the original Peter because the original Peter was so good. Now, my Peter, he was a seven-year-old Shetland pony who had been on a uh, pony ride string, like as in the kind of pony rides that get put on the thing that just goes in a circle one way. So he was super broke at a walk, walking the one way, but he would only go that way. You tried to turn him around and go the other way. He had no idea what you wanted. He said he don't do that. That is not what he was trained to do. He goes in a circle one way, and that is what he does. So it took us a long time to train him to go both ways, but we did it. We eventually got him doing a nice walk track canter. He would go both ways. He would do all the Gymkhana events, and he was great. So good, in fact, that I would ride him bareback a lot. And until this point, I had mostly been on horses, so nothing that little. Outside of old Peter, of course, but by then it had been a while later since we had him. Well, we'd never had him, but since we rode him. So I would ride him bareback, and I found it very fun to, quote-unquote, fall off. Because on a big horse, even if you pretend to fall off, it's usually not fun. On a pony, you're so close to the ground, it doesn't even matter, and it is fun. So I would run him through the barrel pattern, bareback, run home... And in the same spot, every single time on the way home, I would pretend that I had an accident and I fell off. And it was tragic in my head. It was all a game. And pretty soon, Peter, being the good pony that he was, thought to himself, you know what? This kid really likes to fall off in that spot. So maybe I should buck right there. Just, you know, to help her out. So that's what we'd do. We'd run the barrel pattern, 
And then we'd buck in that spot on the way home. And then pretty soon he went, you know what? She really seems to enjoy falling off a lot. Maybe I'll just buck other places. And so that's what we did. We started bucking other places. And I think you can see where this is going. It grew and it grew and it grew until I was terrified of my shell and pony Peter. And it was completely my fault. <laughs> Not great. Um, yeah, so I take full responsibility for that. And then my best friend Josie started riding him, and she fell off of him. Sorry, Josie. That was, yeah, I taught him that. Sorry. Um, and then their cousin started riding him. <laughs> their cousin could ride out a buck, apparently, because he fixed that pony, and that was the best pony after that. He would do all the gymkanas, he would chase cows, he would do all kinds of stuff. And they had quite a few kids in their family that he went through. And he was perfect for all of them after that, as far as I know. We actually moved. So I don't actually know, but I know they used him a lot. So I think, I never saw him buck with the, the one cousin after he got the buck out. So I think it was good. I don't actually know. But I think he was always good. And then, as he got older and aged, my best friend Josie and her family, they got him back for a while. And then um, they ended up selling him as a lead line pony. And that was the last I heard of him. But he had... Great life, great people, and I think age-wise he should still be alive and doing well, and I don't actually know that because I don't know who has him, but that was the story of Peter. And the lesson I learned there is that you are always training your horse, for better or for worse. It was a game for me. I just thought it was fun. I never dreamed I would teach him to buck absolutely everywhere and buck hard. I never, it never even occurred to me. He was just short, the ground was close, and it was fun to fall off. On purpose. It was not fun to fall off on accident. Definitely not fun. But that's a good lesson for anyone working with any animal. You, or, and really, like, anything. If Whatever you do, and whoever you are around, is what that person is seeing you as or animal does that make sense so whatever you're doing whatever you're causing to happen that's what these animals and or even people are going to associate with you so you're always training the animals whether you mean to or not they're always learning they're constantly observing constantly trying to figure out what you want where the rules lie all that kind of stuff so it's a great lesson just no, you're always training everything, whether you mean to be or not. They're watching, and they are learning, for better or for worse. Alright, so that is my little spiel for this first episode. Kept it light, to the point, all the good things. Thank you so much for tuning into the Top Gun Horsemanship Experience. If you're curious about what we are currently up to, check out my socials at Top Gun Horsemanship on Facebook and Instagram. And I will see y'all next time. Have a great 